scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what it means, a desire, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and he was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. We've been following Matthew's account of Jesus's ministry, and this chapter serves as a bit of a turning point. There's a transition here, which you'll, you'll see. That final verse tells you where the intensity of hatred against Jesus is going. This is the first time in this gospel that we see the Pharisees are now plotting the murder of Jesus. That's the first time we've seen that. We've seen the um, animosity continue to rise and the anger of those rise against Jesus, but we haven't seen them actively plot his murder until this morning. And so um, things get intense and Jesus's words inflame the situation. The key phrase here is Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's what Jesus that's what we're, we're, we're dealing with this morning. And the last paragraph in chapter 11, which Chris took us through last week, uh, is the connection to chapter 12. And it's this notion of rest. Jesus, at the very end of the chapter, said some amazing things that has to do with rest. And that connects us into this, this idea of the Sabbath. But Matthew is continuing to present before us the astounding authority of Jesus. Jesus says crazy things. And so here we see, again, two more things that Jesus is saying, which is eventually going to get him killed. But he's saying things which point out his authority. And the real question is, will we believe it? Will we surrender to his authority? Or will we reject him? That's the question for the Pharisees. It was the question long ago. It's the question for us today. Will we surrender to the authority of Jesus? Will we willingly submit to him as who he is? Or will we resist and, and be stubborn and continue to reject him? That's what's happening. So look at, <clears throat> if you have the end of chapter 11, let's go back and capture this, this notion about rest of what these crazy things that Jesus is saying. If you look at chapter 11, verse 27, all these things have been handed over to me by my Father. <laughs> Jesus says this. 
Everything has been handed over to me by my father. Chris took us through this last week. And he goes on and he says, No one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. And if you're hearing these words, you have to say, Jesus, are you, did we hear you right? God has now given you all of his authority. And, and anyone who wants to know the father has to go through you. You're the one who ultimately chooses who knows the father. Really? And it gets a bit worse. Um, he, in verses 28 and 29, says, Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And 29, I will give you rest for your souls. So here's this guy from Nazareth, who's a carpenter, who says, If you're spiritually weary, come to me. If you're nervous, if you're anxious, if you're overburdened, if you're weary, anybody in the room? If you're totally stressed out, if you're pulling your hair out, if you think you don't even have time to pull your hair out because your life is so busy, he says, come to me. If, if you need spiritual rest, come to me. This is what Jesus says. And we're... Jesus, do you somehow have this overabundant supply of spiritual contentment that you can give it out? Because we're, we're, a, we're a mess here. We're going to need a lot. And I don't know if this is important to you, but do you? I mean, really? Weary? Anybody? Overburdened. Thinking about life and looking at the world and wondering if it's going to fall apart and if we're a hair's breadth away from disaster. Uh, That can be exceedingly burdensome. And Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. And, And who does he think he is, is the question. And this notion of rest is what carries us into chapter 12. Because as you see, in the first verse, we start... Matthew leads us into the contemplation of the idea of the Sabbath. So look at the first two verses in chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. That's the the idea that connects with this notion of coming to Jesus for rest. And now he's going to tell us about something that happened on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. So Sabbath... That notion is the notion of the day of rest. And so that's the connection that Matthew now is going to explain to us. How can you trust what Jesus says about being the the person to whom you can go for rest? How How can you believe him? How do you know he can actually give rest? He says, come to me if you need rest. And so how can we for sure know this? And now he begins to tell us about something that happened on the Sabbath. And, and here's this and says, what, well, first of all, what is the Sabbath? When we think about Sabbath, what is it? There's a lot of different ideas, but Sabbath is basically the seventh day of the week that was set apart for worship and for rest. It was consecrated by God as a particular day to cease from all ordinary activity of regular work, to stop that and take a break. 
So that originates uh, from creation. Uh, God had a order in creation. And so the part of what we see in the Sabbath is we, we get a little bit of a grounding, a little backdrop here for before we launch into thinking about the Sabbath. What is it? Uh, we first see a, a, a very good explanation. It's the fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath. And so in Exodus 20, uh, 8 to 11, we get a picture that the Sabbath is a regular reminder of the rhythm of creation. Okay, it's a regular reminder of the rhythm of creation. So here's what we are told. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But on the seventh is a day of a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So it's a day of Sabbath rest, ceasing of work to the Lord. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, your male servant nor your female servant, your livestock nor the sojourner who is within your gates. Why? Why, Lord, do you want us to do this? For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is within them. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So the seven-day week of six days of working and one day of resting mirrors what God did in creation. So work six days a week and take off on the seventh day. Stop your work. That's what God did. He created. He stopped. He looked back over everything and said, this is all wonderful and amazing and very good. I'm going to set apart this day for a day of reflection, a day of worship to the Lord, a day of ceasing from activity. And so as the father did, so the children are to do. And so this is a, a rhythm of, of creation and reminder who created this world and how it came to be. Second, the Sabbath is a unique sign of God's covenant with Israel. No other nation did this. Nobody else had this practice. So Israel was unique. Exodus 31, 16. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign between me and the people of Israel. So the Sabbath was completely unique to Israel, and it demonstrated this loving relationship between God and his people and the gift of rest, a gift of a, a day off. And then third, the Sabbath also is a reminder that holiness comes from God, not your activity. Here's Exodus 31, 13, right? Holiness comes from God, not you working for it. Here's what he says. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, it's an amazing statement. All the commandments that God gives, he says, above all, I want you to pay attention to this. Right above all, you should keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout all of your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. That's incredible. Take off from your work to realize it's me, a holy God, who gives you the work you need to be holy. You can't work your way into heaven, is essentially what he's saying. You don't trust in your work, so relax. <laughs> have a regular reminder. You can't you work your way into my kingdom. I am the one who sanctifies you. I am the one who makes you holy. I am the one who sets you apart and gives you what you need in order to enter into my communion. So that's the third thing. Fourth, the Sabbath is a regular reminder of the future heavenly rest yet to come. 
right? This is a little picture of, of the eternal rest. So this temporal, regular rest on the seventh day is a pointer to the future rest in heaven. Hebrews 4, 9 to 11. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God and let us strive therefore to enter into it. Meaning get rid of everything that hinders you from entering into heaven and seek the eternal rest of the Lord. Be sure that you're there. And why is this important? Because Hebrews is writing after Jesus has atoned for our sins. The work of atonement, of of paying the penalty for the sins is done. Jesus said on the cross, right? It is what? Finished. It is over. As Jesus right now, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, signifying everything necessary for salvation I have done. I'm going to sit down. Now you trust in me. And the Sabbath was a day to remember sanctification, holiness comes from God. That rest that Jesus is enjoying now is there for all of his people. One day we will enter into that fullness of it. This is a little pointer to the rest of heaven. So that's part of what God has done in giving the Sabbath to his people. It's intended to be a blessing. It's a gracious gift. It's set apart by God for worship and for rest, for ceasing from your regular work and activity. It's a unique sign between God and his people. And it is also a reminder of God's saving work and that future eternal rest. But by the time we get to the time of Jesus, that day of rest and goodness was completely obliterated. Now, everything I've described to you, does that sound good so far? Having having a day off? I mean, some of you never get a day off, right? And yet God says, I want you to rest. I want you to relax. I want you to take a breath. Work six days a week and you're off on seven. On the seventh. And so man, the Jews then, well, we need to find work. If we're, if we're supposed to cease from work, well, what is work? And do you know, 24 chapters in the, the Talmud have been dedicated to explaining what is and isn't work. It's, it's, in, it's breathtaking in the scope because there were so many regulations of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath that uh, it was, um, it, it's almost unbelievable. So I, I want to read you a few things, but we get to this point here because this becomes the issue about which Jesus explains this notion. So look at verses 1 and 2 again. We see what the problem becomes. So he He is going through the grain fields, and we're going to see that the Pharisees will condemn the disciples for having breakfast. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But the Pharisees saw it and said, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Do you ever picture Jesus and his disciples walking around? Do you realize the Pharisees were with him? They're there hovering, waiting, looking, you know, keeping records. Okay. They're there. That's, that's what they're doing. Finding some way to accuse him. And so this is what they're, they're, Jesus, look at your boys. They're doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. What are they doing? Plucking some grain and having a bite. Picking some nuts and eating. That's, it's against the law? Really? Yes. Uh, according to them. 
And their definition of work, they were reaping, they were threshing, they were pulling out, they were harvesting, crushing the grain, and then eating. All of those things were falling under the definitions of work that was forbidden to do on the Sabbath. Now you can understand, God's word is relatively simple. Don't work on the seventh day. And then you go through in your mind, well, what am I not supposed to do? Does this qualify? Does that qualify? We, we try to put some flesh on that. Let me describe to you, I'm going to share with you some of the Sabbath regulations that are embraced by the Jews. So here's the prohibited work that could not be done. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing wheat, winnowing, sorting crops, as in this is good and this is bad. Can't do that. Grinding, sifting, kneading bread, baking, shearing wool, washing wool, beating wool, dyeing wool, spinning cloth, weaving, making two loops, weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying anything, untying anything, sewing to more than two stitches, tearing in order to sew back together again, trapping an animal, killing an animal, flaying an animal, salting its meat, curing its hide, scraping the hide, cutting an animal, writing more than two letters, Two alphabetic letters, more than two, not two letters like to two different friends, but two alphabetic letters, Um, erasing letters, building, tearing, uh, tearing down, uh, putting out a fire, starting a fire, hitting anything with a hammer, carrying an object from a private domain to a public domain. That's the work that was all prohibited on the Sabbath. You couldn't do any of that. But there's a whole lot of other stuff that's work. What, what if the home is the place of your work? Um, the list goes on. Let me share some more. Some things you couldn't do on the Sabbath. You couldn't get a haircut. That was a right out. Uh, a tailor could not carry a needle. Might be tempted to sew something. A scribe could not carry a pen. Might be tempted to write. Um, no buying, no selling. Uh, no getting Gentiles to do forbidden things for you either. That's out. A man could not dress for battle. No putting on swords and armor and so forth. You can't clip your fingernails. That, that's work. Um, you can't pull out a hair. And there's dozens of regulations on animals that I, I won't go into. Um, and it gets worse. What about food? There's no cooking on the Sabbath. You can't, you can't kindle a fire. Um, so no squeezing fruit. No mashing fruit, no boiling, no roasting, no frying, no baking. You can't pick out the bones of a fish that you're eating. And, and, and today, we bring this home today. No use of a gas or electric stove unless it is turned on and left on and not adjusted at all for the entire duration of the Sabbath. You can use an oven if you want to keep things warm. But if when you open the door, the fan is triggered, you can't use it. You got to turn it off. Um, No salting, no adding spices or liquid. If you want to do all that, you have to do it before the Sabbath. Otherwise, no cooking. It, it, It goes on. It goes on and it's amazing. And there's prohibited kinds of movement, which qualifies as work as well. Uh, You can't move these things with your hand or with like a stick, anything, either direct movement or indirect movement. Uh, You can move with your elbow or your teeth. Um, 
No moving stones, no plants, no moving flowers in a vase, no moving raw food like beans. You can't scrape off beans. Um, Broken objects that are no longer useful. Like if you drop a bowl on the Sabbath and it breaks into multiple pieces, you can't sweep it up. That's work. Uh, Can't be done. No moving of valuable objects like passports or documents that might get damaged. You don't want to do that. No moving of any tools. No driving, no riding in a car or any other vehicle. And that's been updated to include bikes and skateboards boards and rollerblades and scooters. None of that works either. No shopping, no using the telephone. I wonder how many people would die and can't use your telephone. Uh, no turning on or off anything that uses electricity. Lights, radio, computer, air conditioners. If you want lights on, you have to turn them on before the Sabbath and you can't touch them until after the Sabbath. You have to leave them on and you have to turn them on 18 minutes before sundown on the day before the Sabbath. There's plenty of rules, right? You, can't, you can use a refrigerator, but if you open the door and the light comes on, you have to unscrew the bulb before the Sabbath because then light, that's work. Um, no gardening, no mowing grass, no doing laundry, no walking more than 3,000 feet, uh, not going in a straight line any further than a half a mile, six-tenths of a mile, exactly. Um, however, if the buildings that you're passing are contiguous home dwellings, so long as they're connected, you can keep going. It's 3,000 feet beyond the city limits, but city limits is determined by a distance from homes and dwelling places. So you can stretch a rope between a couple of houses and connect them, and if so, you can add that amount of distance onto your, your journey. Do you get a feeling like Sabbath is a blessing? This is incredible. I I want to read a quote from a website which offers all of these rules on travel, particularly on the Sabbath. The rules can be complex and a rabbi should be consulted before planning a long trek. And you understand that all of these rules were incredibly burdensome. And so Jesus's words in Matthew 23, 4 make sense, right? They tie up heavy burdens and hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders and they won't lift one finger to move them. This is, this is the Sabbath. And so Jesus is entering into a situation at which you're grinding grain and eating it. And the Pharisees want to charge them with breaking the Sabbath. So what does Jesus do? By the way, uh, there was a law that allowed you, if you were traveling and you passed through someone's grain field, you're allowed to pick some food and eat. I mean, there's no McDonald's or truck stops along the way. So to grab some food and eat, that was fine. That was completely acceptable. You remember in harvesting, there was rules that you don't harvest all the way up to the edge of your field so that there's food for people who need it. That was allowed. You can't take a sickle out and start harvesting and stuffing it into your pouch and packing a lunch, so to speak. But you can grab and eat along the way. The disciples were not breaking the law. They were simply eating and filling their needs. So the law provided for that kind of thing. But the the Pharisees had built up so many rules around the work and defining what was prohibited and what wasn't that even grabbing grain, they're condemning them. And so Jesus uses three illustrations to point out how wrong the Pharisees are. And the first one is, he goes back to David. He says, David did what was unlawful on the Sabbath, and he wasn't condemned. So look at verses 3 and 4, chapter 12 with me. 
So Jesus said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him and how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So on this occasion, David is on the run from King Saul, who is trying to kill him. And David, in his fleeing, he didn't take time to pack a lunch. So he goes to the temple, which happened to be in the city of Nob, and he asks the priest, do you have any bread? Do you have anything to help me with? I'm hungry. And the priest, he arrives on the Sabbath, because the priest says, there's only the bread of presence. That bread of presence were 12 loaves that were baked every Sabbath day and put on the table that sat in front of the Holy of Holies and represented the 12 tribes of Israel. When a new, every Sabbath, when a new fresh batch of 12 loaves of bread were made, they took off the old bread, put on the new bread, and then the priests, and only the priests, were allowed to eat the old 12 loaves. And so when David arrives, that's the only bread that's available, but it's only for the priests. He's really not supposed to eat it. David's not a priest. Neither are those who are with him. And yet the, the priest realizes David's in need. He's hungry. And so he decides to meet a very real need of a real person in front of him with the bread that wasn't lawful, but better to feed a hungry person with the extra bread than to save that exclusively for the priests. And David was not condemned for that, and neither was the priest for doing it. There's no condemnation in scripture of that. And so Jesus says to the, to the Pharisees, you remember, did you read your Bible? This need was met by priests and they weren't, nobody was condemned for that. And you're condemning my disciples for doing what is not unlawful. And then the second thing he says, um, verse five and six, have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and yet they are held guiltless? And I tell you something greater than the temple is here. This is incredible. So priests do unlawful work on the Sabbath and they're not condemned, is what Jesus is saying. Haven't you read your Bibles? <laughs> he says that again and again. Have you not read? And this is a great time for me to say, do you have a Bible reading plan? Do you have a habit of reading God's word? Because in it will shape our minds. And so Jesus said, do you know the this priests break the Sabbath. They profane the Sabbath in the temple and they're held guiltless. He said, do you guys careful about who you're condemning? Are you being fair? And if you're asking yourself like me, what in the world do the priests do in the temple that profanes the Sabbath? There's at least three things they do. First of all, on the Sabbath, they're required to offer sacrifices. So two is a double sacrifice on the Sabbath day. And if you're going to slaughter an animal, that's, that's work. Especially that's what the priest normally does. This, he's continuing his regular work. Slaughtering animals were forbidden. Flaying an animal was forbidden. Kindling a fire was forbidden. And all of those things were necessary in order for sacrifices to be offered. So the priests are violating uh, the principles of Sabbath, and yet they're required to do this. The second thing is, they're baking bread. They're breaking the bread of presence in the temple, the tabernacle, every Sabbath. To bake bread, you need a fire. So they're baking, which is prohibited, and also kindling another fire, which was also prohibited. And the third thing they do is circumcision. 
Sometimes, you know, the, the rule of every Jewish ch- male child is supposed to be circumcised on the eighth day. What well, happens when the eighth day falls on a Sabbath? You have to circumcise. Cutting and sewing is forbidden, and yet they are required to do that on the Sabbath. And so again, they're breaking the Sabbath, and, and yet they're guiltless. So the work of the temple required the very violation of their Sabbath work definitions, and yet they're held guiltless. And so in the holiest place, the temple, that's where the Sabbath breaking was happening. Jesus is saying, are you concerned about that, guys? In the temple, you want to allow Sabbath breaking every week? And then notice this, verse 6. This is where things begin to get tricky. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple is here? Jews considered the temple the greatest place on the planet because in the temple was the presence of God. And there's no greater place to be than than close to God. That is still true to this very day. Why do the, the Jews pray at the Western Wall? Because that's as close as they can get to the foundation of what used to be the temple, which is where God's presence was. So that's as close as to a remnant of the presence of God as they can get. That's why they pray there. And yet, Jesus is saying something greater than the temple is here? I, I got to wonder if some of them turned around and like, did somebody walk up while we were talking? Who is he talking about? He can't be talking about himself. And yet he goes on. Animal sacrifices were necessary for, to provide atonement for sin. And Jesus is saying, I am greater than the temple. And then he gets to the third way in which they're wrong. He, he essentially says, you've missed the heart of God. You wouldn't have condemned my disciples if you knew the heart of God. Look at verses 7 and 8. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned the guiltless. So he explicitly says his disciples are guiltless. Right? For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus had quoted this verse to them before. Back in Matthew 9, when he was having dinner at the home of, of Matthew, who was a tax collector, he invited all of his tax collector friends. And Jesus said to them, condemning him for eating a meal with sinners and tax collectors. And he said, go figure out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And here he says it again. If you only knew what this meant, you wouldn't have condemned the disciples. If you only knew the heart of God, if you only knew the mercy of the Father, if you only knew the love of the Father, he loves communion with his children, not the keeping of rules. I desire mercy and compassion rather than sacrifice. It would be such a better relationship if there's no need for sacrifice, right? Sacrifice means there's been a sin. We have to atone for it. Why not compassion? Enter into a living relationship with God the Father. And then you'll know the the heart of God. But you've missed it. So you're condemning innocent people because you don't understand the heart of God. So three ways in which the Pharisees have missed it. They have totally missed what what God is doing here. And so now we need some proof, right? Jesus is going to... All right, Jesus, you... You mentioned David, you talk about the priest, you talk about God's heart. Um, and now he's going to, to demonstrate, is he really the Lord of the Sabbath? Okay, it's nice to have a theoretical discussion, but what about real demonstration? And look at verses 9 to 10. 
So we've been in the grain fields. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath here in the grain fields is what he is saying. Lord of the Sabbath. Again, a, a phrase that catches their attention. What, what do you mean, Jesus? And now he's going to go into the synagogue. Verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand or paralyzed hand, think. And they asked him, meaning the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. So there's no concern for this man or his situation. And imagine how difficult it would be to earn a living in this time when you have only one hand. Um, And he says, is it lawful? They ask him, is it lawful to heal a man? So they're provoking Jesus. They're, They're intentionally instigating an issue. It was lawful to heal on the Sabbath if the situation involved life or death. So the Jews made exception for that Sabbath rule. If if there's life and death situation, you're allowed to work on the Sabbath. But in this case, a a, a wounded hand, paralyzed hand, it's not a life or death situation. And so they're, they're again, they think they have grounds to accuse Jesus. And notice, they believe he can heal. The Pharisees believe that Jesus can heal this guy. They're egging him on to do it. Isn't that incredible? And yet, do they trust him? Absolutely not. They're trying to condemn him. And yet they know the power of God is on him. Think back to Nicodemus, who came at night and said, we know you're from God, because nobody can do the stuff you do unless God is with him. And yet they're still hardened in their rejection of Jesus, so that they might accuse him. So they're trying to develop a situation where they can condemn Jesus. And look what happens. Verse 11, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of him and lift it out? And how much more value is a man than a sheep? He's saying something everybody would do. Guys, you want to condemn me? If you go home and your dog in the backyard is trapped in a hole, are you going to walk up to him and say, oh, man, feeling... I would help you, but it's the Sabbath, so you have to wait a little while. Um, hope things work out, okay? I'll be back in the morning. Nobody does that. You're going to pull out a sheep, an endangered animal. They, he, he knows what they'll do. Every one of them will just pull them out, no problem. But you're lifting something. That's carrying something. Carrying was forbidden. That's work. And yet he knows exactly what they'll do. And he says, you would, you would help a sheep. And you want to now create a situation to try to condemn me for helping a man. Of how much more value is a human being than an animal? Infinitely more. People are created in the image of God. Animals are not. And yet he says, how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So Jesus is not like, other, not like our politicians. He answers directly. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he does it. Look at verses 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored. So this guy obeys Jesus. I think he believes Jesus can take care of him too. Absolutely. And his hand is fine. His hand is restored and healthy. If you were in the synagogue that day and you saw something like that, what would you do? If, if somebody came in this room 
uh, with, a, with a wounded hand and, and we prayed for them and the hand was healed, what? wouldn't somebody like, let's get some food. Let's have a party. This is great. Wonderful. We'd all celebrate. Everybody want to shake his hand and say hi. What do the disciples do? I mean, what do the Pharisees do? Look at verse 14. They went out and conspired against him to destroy him. So they witness a healing from the power of Jesus. And they say, we got to end him. We need to plan his death. We need to actively plot for how to destroy this guy. And here is an incredible reality. Only the Lord of the Sabbath can heal on the Sabbath. Only the Lord of the Sabbath has the authority to restore a paralyzed hand. Only the Lord of the Sabbath has the authority and the power and the ability to heal those who are wounded and to understand what the will of the Father is. And Jesus does all of this. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of right interpretation of God's word. He is the Lord of compassion. He is the Lord of justice against those who are wrongfully condemned. He is the Lord who protects his people. He is greater than the temple. He is Lord Almighty. He is the God who atones for our sin. He is the Lord of mercy. He is the Lord who meets people trapped in pits of despair and depression and anxiety and worry. And he picks us up out of those pits and puts us on solid ground. This is who Jesus is. He forgives sin. He washes away iniquity. He looks to the lonely. He welcomes those who are exiled. He opens his arms to the people who are put out and he says to us come to me and I will give you rest and I wonder won't you come to him won't you look to him won't you praise this Lord of the Sabbath for who he is for what he has done he gives rest will you willingly surrender to him or will you reject him You, you, you can't ignore Jesus you just can't ignore him You can't ignore the guy who says, the father has given everything to me. The father has given me all authority. You you can't ignore someone who says, if you're weary, if you're burdened, if you need spiritual rest, then come to me. Jesus is the Lord Almighty. And I wonder, will you worship him? Will you you come to him? And I mean today, if if you're sitting here filled with worry and anxiety and stress, I want you to come. I literally want you to come. There's going to be a prayer team at the end of the service. Let's pray to you. How do we go to Jesus? We, we go in prayer and we believe he hears our prayer. So whatever your problem is, whatever your issue is, whatever sin you're dealing with, whatever habit, sinful habit you can't get over, if you're addicted to pornography, whatever it is, if you're addicted to alcohol, if you have sinful things dominating your life that you can't get rid of, I know somebody who can help you. I know a person who is real and who's alive today, who is the Lord God Almighty, who reigns over everything. Your sin, your sadness, whatever it is, he reigns over it. And if you go to him, I believe the kingdom of heaven will come in your life. And I believe Jesus will show you what to do. 
So is he a Lord you're willing to bow before? I pray that he is. Let's sing together. But first, we're going to pray. <laughs> Lord, I just want to sing to you. I want to sing that you're an almighty God and an almighty Savior. I want to see you deliver people. I want to see you break chains of bondage. I want to see you uh, fill lonely hearts. I want to see you bless people who are in great need of, of being connected to you. I want to see you fill people with your spirit. I want to see your kingdom come among Hope Church and among Boston. I want to see the, the power of your kingdom manifested in our lives. I want to see Satan crushed under your feet. I want to see your sovereignty um, delighted in, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you would do that among us this morning. Let us see you as the sovereign Lord Almighty, who is risen and reigns and is real. And Lord, I ask if there's anybody in this room who needs to see that you're real, is struggling to believe that you actually lived and died and rose again, I pray you'd grant them to faith to believe it. And Lord, let us as a people walk with each other through the challenges of life and be faithful and continue to trust in you. So Lord Jesus, let us reach out our hands to you in faith this morning. And I pray you restore our hearts Restore lives that are broken. Restore marriages that need to be healed. Restore folks who are enslaved in ways that we can't even see. But Lord, I ask you, deliver and let your almighty and powerful name rest over your people like a, a massive shield in the night, like the iron dome over Israel. Let your wings overshadow your people so that your name can be praised. And so, Lord Jesus, we worship you as the almighty king of the universe. Amen.